So, what do you call the ghost of a chicken? Um, gawk. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that, that makes no sense. I don't, um, that makes zero sense. Yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. A poultry geist. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us again. I am Rachel, and that is Grace. The podcast. The experience. The podcast. So this week... Where um, are we? We are in St. Petersburg, Russia. My sources are Wikipedia to wikipedias express to russia.com britannica.com st petersburg.com and the moscow times.com so yeah we're just gonna jump right in st petersburg russia was founded by uh Tsar peter the great because my brain wants to say t-sar Tsar. 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 <laughs> peter the great on May 27th, 1703, when the city was seized from Sweden, of all places. He named the city after his patron saint, Apostle St. Peter. Apostle? Apostle. Apossum! Despite the swampy location and fierce climate, Peter the Great had dreams of this becoming the capital. (laughs) Okay. Becoming the capital. And it was. In 1712, the city became Russia's capital. And this was Peter's window to Europe. It served as a seaport and a naval base between 1712 and 1918. It was the capital of the Russian Empire. It's so weird because, I mean, thinking about the only reason I would know that is because of, like, Anastasia. But (laughs) (laughs) for some reason, I always think that, like, Moscow is the place, like, Well, we do get to it. We do get to that. We do get to that. During the 19th century, um, this brought an almost mystical appeal to the city, thanks to many of the authors living there. Thanks in part to this, a culture boom was created. This, of course, created a lot of new ideas, and in 1825, a group of soldiers rose up and rebelled against the new emperor, Nicholas I, in what became known as the Decemberist Revolt. Mm -hmm. However, he didn't pay any attention to them, Except to, you know, have them captured and executed or exiled to Serbia. You know how you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just not going to pay attention except to have them killed, whatever. He then adopted extremely conservative government policies in order to prevent an uprising like this from happening again. Mm. In pure spite of these repressions, yes but no, um, also due to the cultural revolution caused by the aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars... 
St. Petersburg opened even further up. What was that face for? <laughs> I talked about a little bit about Napoleon. <laughs> very liter. No. I was going to say, I just very briefly summarized And it's not technically about Napoleon at all. Yeah. We're so. good. We're good. The city's wealth grew rapidly, as did the prominent citizens such as intellectuals, scientists, writers, and artists. Funny enough, those are no longer prominent citizens anywhere in the world. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Oh, gotta then, love capitalism. You don't have to, unfortunately. Sarcasm, Rachel. I know. It then began to gain international recognition as the gateway for trade and business as a cosmopolitan cultural hub. Specifically with music, theater, and ballet, which set their footholds into St. Petersburg culture. I assume you touch on that. You said cosmopolitan, and I almost said I love their ice cream before I realized I meant ne- oh my <laughs> Neapolitan. <laughs> You're good. Cosmopolitan, I love their drinks and their oh magazine. My <laughs> oh my god. In 1861, Alexander II implemented the Emancipation of Serfs, which brought a lot of the poor working-class people into the capital searching for jobs. New housing was built along the outskirts of the city, and industry became prominent with a lot of these new workers. This caused the city to surpass Moscow in populace and industry. And by 1900, the city had grown into one of the largest industrial hubs in Europe, as well as being claimed to the to be the fourth largest city in Europe. With the growth of industry also came more revolts and radical movements. Many socialist organizations were the cause of the assassinations of public figures, including that of Tsar Alexander, who was killed by a suicide bomber in 1881. This act initiated the revolution of 1905, which then deeply impacted the revolution of 1917. So many revolutions. So many revolutions, but you know, it was needed. The 1917 revolution saw the re-emergence of the Communist Party, which was led by Lenin with his campaigns of guns give us power and all power to the Soviets. Oh dear. Mm -hmm. After this revolution, Tsar Nicholas II was arrested and that government was was then replaced by a two-party system the pro-democracy, and the pro-communist party. This was then again overthrown by the communists in October of 1917, which caused the Russian Civil War. Again, something that you never learn in history class. Other countries have civil wars. So the city's closeness to the anti-Soviet armies forced Lenin to move the government to Moscow on March 5th of 1918. And okay. it, that city has remained the capital to this day. Gotcha. So, like you said, it's pretty big. Why isn't it the capital? Well, it is. After the Civil War, the murder of Tsar Nicholas II and his family, <coughs> Anastasia, mm. as well as many other anti-Soviet people, the city was renamed Leningrad in an attempt to destroy the last hopes of the resistance. I almost covered it. You should have. I almost did. And I might do it on another, uh, on one of our mess episodes or something. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew it was going to be so long and so much information. That we wouldn't have had time and... to do it this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the city was forced under political repression between 1917 and 1938. This, in addition to crime and vandalism, caused a great influx of educated intellectuals 
and aristocrats to move to Europe and America. During World War II, the city was surrounded by German armies for a total of 29 months between September of 1914 and January of 1944. The Germans were instructed to bomb the city constantly, which caused the death of roughly one million civilians. Jeez. This was more than a third of their population at the time. Because of the resistance of so many within the city to Hitler and his followers, the city became the first to receive the title Hero City as an award in 1945. The decades following that war required a lot of rebuilding and restoration for all, literally all the buildings lost. Unfortunately, during the 40s and 50s, the political and cultural elite were under harsh repressions, hundreds being executed and thousands imprisoned. During this time, it, like this, everything on all the websites it was yeah. like bad, 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 and I'm sitting here like, it's like ah. execution, murder, execution, murder, collusion, murder. <laughs> Pretty much, it's Louisville this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, and thousands imprisoned. During this time, the city was producing about 6% of Russia's gross national income, despite having less than 2% of the entire country's population. This led to an unfair distribution of wealth to outlying regions during the following decades. Nah, what? This, and you know, this might have played a role in the collapse of the USSR. No. But who's to say? Then on June 12th, 1991, the first presidential Russian election was held. The people of the city voted to rename the city back to its original name, St. Petersburg, instead of Leningrad. Mm -hmm. The Constitutional Court of Russia then moved from Moscow to St. Petersburg in 2008, restoring the city's historic status and making it Russia's second judicial capital. So if you would like to visit Russia in the not-so-near future post-COVID. Not-so-near. <laughs> also, um, doesn't she mean not-so-distant? So and then I'm like, nope, no, no, she doesn't. So um, there are tons of museums. There are um, beautiful churches and cathedrals. And, I mean, I'm looking at Google right now. These places are gorgeous. Mm. You could go visit the Amber Room. Ooh. You know about the Amber Room? No. So pretty. Um, then there's the Summer Garden, St. Michael's Castle, Winter Palace, Peterhof, Savior on the Spilled Blood, which is a 1880s church. Ooh. Girl, it's beautiful. Wow. This architecture. Um, St. Isaac's Cathedral, Russian Museum, Palace Square, Marinsky Theater. It just, yes. So, post-COVID, if you want to check out Russia, highly recommend. It is gorgeous. And that is St. Petersburg, because not, I guess not a lot has happened since 2008. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll cover some of that. Something yes. has happened there. I'm sure something has happened. What is Soon. your story? So, I'm covering the murder of Anastasia Yashenko. You will not have heard of it. Uh, my sources are, there's a lot, bear with me, um, go, like go, a lot. Go, go. Count them, actually, because okay. I did not. <clears throat> Wikipedia, uh, another Wikipedia, medusa.io, en.net, 
newizv.ru, the Moscow Times, the Irish Times, bbc.com, Medusa, another Medusa, Medusa. Um, New York Times, rferl.org, Daily Mail, um, rapsinews.com, Daily Mail, and courthousenews.com. 13. Unless you don't want to ca- uh, count the duplicates, in which case 10. Okay. Anastasia Yashenko was born April 26, 1995 in the Krasnodar region in southern Russia. Russia's so fucking huge. I forget that all the it, time. Yeah. It's that's why I was huge. That's why I was super grateful that for the history we were in St. Petersburg because and not Russia. And not Russia because then history's going to be like 20 pages long. It, yeah. <laughs> her father Oleg Yashenko is a physical education teacher at the local school and her mother Helena uh, Yashenko is a lieutenant colonel in the Russian Interior Ministry. In 2012, she graduated from Darovelichkov School Number no. 4 with a gold medal. She received the highest score in the external examination in history. Mm-hmm. She competed and won in various stages of the All-Russian School Olympiad in history. It's like um contests about subjects like math and history and science and stuff between students and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And the subject she competed in just was history. She was really into it. She started going to St. Petersburg State University and focused on history, primarily the history of Russia from ancient times to the 12th century, and she also worked as a tutor during this time, so she was a history buff and she wanted to help other students um, be interested, as interested as she was, which I think is really cool. While at St. Petersburg State University, she met Oleg Sokolov, a history professor who became her supervisor during her postgrad and sometimes co-author of academic papers. The two began a romantic relationship despite Sokolov being nearly 40 years older than her mm. and he would often take her on trips to Moscow, whether as a supervisor or a boyfriend, I don't know. By all accounts, their relationship seemed to be fantastic, although obviously unconventional. Uh, And it was no secret that the two were together. It seemed well known all around the university. And Anastasia Yashenko even moved out of the student dormitories into Sokolov's apartment. Mm. Her mother actually tried to talk her out of it because she's like, he could be your grandfather. Like, he's, he's, he's old enough to be your grandfather. To each their own, but just... Right. But she said she was really happy with him. She even helped Aww. him, like, prepare his lectures and graded his students' work for him and joined in on historical reenactments with him because of their shared love of history. Yeah. So, yeah, their relationship That's... seemed great for a few years. Um, oh. oh. Until the night uh, between night slash morning between November 7th to 8th of 2019. Yeah. Uh, Anastasia called her brother in tears, saying the couple had had an argument and Sokolov had hit her because a friend invited her to a birthday party. Um, that is kind of controlling and we're not here for that. Yes. She told her brother that she was planning to spend the night in a student hostel and she quickly called him back to tell him that she was fine. November 9th, police picked up Sokolov, who had drunkenly fallen into the, I believe it's Moika River, but not before he started throwing bags into the river. 
like they found him throwing bags into the river. Like he had fallen in because he was throwing these bags into the river. And once police pulled him out of the river, they made a grim discovery. Um, the bag this- they had pulled out of the river with Sokolov contained a gun. And the arms of a mm. woman sawed off at the elbows. Mm. I knew that's where that was going. Yeah. Um, police. Why discovered... you do this to me? Sorry. <laughs> police discovered the arms in the bag belonged to Anastasia when they found her head and other body parts lying next to a saw in the couple's home. The police also found a shotgun, um, knives, and an axe and ammunition in his apartment, but a bag with her torso actually wasn't found until the river until November 11th. It's horrible. Yeah. Even worse, Anastasia's father said that the family found out what happened from relatives who called and asked if it was true that Anastasia had been murdered after the news and... Uh, internet started reporting it. So, the police didn't even contact her family first? No. I guess they eventually did, though, because her father actually had to spend two days identifying her body parts. No. A three-day search of the Moika River didn't turn up any evidence of her murder, but a skull and breastbone of a so far unidentified corpse were, was found. Okay, but that doesn't mean it was from him, though. No, it doesn't. No, yeah. it's just, like, very odd that they found more than just yeah. one person's... I mean... Well, to be fair, how often are people, like, dragging the river looking for body parts? Yes, but also, like, it's a pretty... It seemed to, like, a pretty public... Area. Like, it's their a, apartment's right on the water. It's a pretty poppin' spot. That's actually interesting. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was that their apartment was right there. Like, Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So. So. So, let's talk about Oleg Sokolov. Uh, he was <laughs> born July 9th, 1956 in Leningrad, which, like you said, is now St. <laughs> Petersburg. St. Petersburg, um, yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot known about his life previous to 1979 when he graduated with a specialist degree in physics and engineering from the Faculty of Physics and Mechanics of the Leningrad Polytechnic Institute. Everything has such a long fucking name. So, the St. Petersburg Technical Institute. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And then he went and gra- went on to graduate with honors from the Department of Modern History and Contemporary History, blah, 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 uh, in 1984. And since 2000, he had been a professor for the Department of Modern History at St. Petersburg State University. He's written a number of works on the military history of Europe in the 17th, 17th to early 19th centuries. He was really involved in like a lot of different historical and scientific societies. Like, he was really well-known. He had a a Wikipedia page before all of this. Really? Yeah. And he was a really big deal in the Russian historical reenactment community. He actually founded his own, like, group. He's a nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But his primary interest, above all others, seemed to be Napoleon. Um, He seemed obsessed in some ways. Which I'll I'll get into later, but it's a little weird. 
I do want to interject and say to the listeners, absolutely nothing wrong with being a nerd and being into history. I mean, obviously we're into history. Like, well, no, like the reenactments. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, like at all. I just. I mean, there's, here there's a bit of an issue because yeah. um, people like <laughs> died glorified being <laughs> on the um, civil uh, in the Civil War reenactments. Mm-hmm. They just love that shit. Yeah, no, nope, there get is no nope. way mm. too into it. Um, it's a twenty first century. We should not be reenacting it like that. I mean, sometimes reenactments can seem really, really fun. It's just sometimes there are some people who, like, get a bit, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Back on topic. So, fast forward, he meets Anastasia Yashenko. The two start dating, move in together. It seems great, you know. And then he's arrested, and they find her body. Well, um, most of it. He tells the police that he had planned to dispose of his victim's body parts in the river and then um, complete suicide dressed as Napoleon outside a St. Petersburg fortress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he also told police he thought of her as his fiance and told all of his friends that he was going to marry her. And yet you kill her. And his initial reason behind killing her was that she flew into a rage when he told her that he would have to spend the weekend with his daughters. That she grinned like a witch and came at him with a knife, completely blaming the whole thing on her, and saying that she had become a monster. Oh, honey. Keep that Girls part don't in your become mind. a monster Keep on their that own. In your mind, okay? So, once Sokolov was arrested, the Russian Military uh, Historical Society and the French Institute of Social Science, Economics, and Politics removed him, like, removed all mentions of him from their websites and removed him from any positions he held. Wow. He was also dismissed from his post at St. Petersburg University. Okay. At this point, things about Sokolov's time at the university start coming out, including his predatory and abusive behavior towards students, Mm. primarily female students at the university. The lawyer for Yushchenko's family, Alexandra Bakshiva, explains that the historian targeted young women with brown hair who had an alleged resemblance to Napoleon's wife, and that he paid particular attention to them and tried to, like, establish a relationship with them. This happened to several women who studied under him. And like I said before, he would dress up as Napoleon for reenactments of 19th century balls with Anastasia dressed as the Empress Josephine. Like, there are pictures of this. And according to some students, he enjoyed speaking French, did impressions of Napoleon, called Anastasia Josephine, and asked to be addressed as sire on multiple occasions. So he is taking reenacting entirely entirely way too serious yeah some people actually some students and other people that he works with for with the historical society they said that he that they think that he believed that he's like a reincarnation of napoleon mm. 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 no just yeah no. like he he's just so into it one student said sokolov invited her to a picnic with his deputies and they were riding horses when he suddenly reached over and tried to kiss her quite aggressively. 
And after this incident, she said she lost her trust in him as a professor and obviously a person. Same. A St. Petersburg local counselor and former student of Sokolov, Vasily Kunin, has tweeted that he raised concerns about Professor Sokolov's behavior, but the university authorities didn't do anything. And actually, a lot of people signed an online petition demanding an inquiry into the university's management and the history faculty's director, like, because there were there were so many things that mm-hmm. people have said they reported about him and it nothing was ever done. And over 20,000 people signed it. it. It's one of those things that I want to be surprised about that, but... It gets worse. It... It really does. It's it's really such a frequent thing that people make complaints and nothing gets done about it. Yes. And we'll get there. We'll get there. <sighs> but that's not all. The St. Petersburg news outlet Fontenka interviewed another woman who was studying at the university when she met Sokolov in the mid-2000s. The two eventually started a relationship but later separated. I'm not going to mention her name because her name was in a couple of different sources, but I feel like she should have some privacy. Oh, um, for sure. She said when they started dating that he he said she was the girl of his dreams and told her that, like, his wife had died. And uh, so he was, like, lonely and looking, you know, whatever. With my eye roll there, yeah. yeah. I know what he was looking she for. She found out that was a lie from his mm. friends. But at that point, she was in love, so, like, she was gonna break it off with him, but she had already, like, fallen in love with him, thought that they were great together, so she stayed with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said he could be, like, gallant and attentive, and being around him was always interesting, but he- everything he did was for himself. He never shared his connections in academia, and he would- dress her up and show her off to people like he treated her like a doll and she said he destroyed her psychological and emotional health isolated from her friends and loved ones and when she decided to leave him and come get her things he was eerily calm at first and then out of nowhere tied her to a chair and beat her and she said that she felt like he wanted to kill her but couldn't And when he let her go, she went to the police and they didn't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Then he stalked her until he convinced her to come back to him for another year before she finally left him after he said, I'm going to kill you, bitch. Did she she report that? Yeah, she said he said it so naturally that it scared her into leaving for good because he meant it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After this, he blamed her for the relationship souring, saying that she had become a monster. He also became aggressive with a male student named Anton Kuzim, a fourth-year student at St. Petersburg University at the time. Anton publicly, like in a, in a public lecture, asked Sokolov how he felt about uh, accusations of plagiarism against him at the time. And Sokolov randomly started shouting insults at the man who accused him of plagiarism, who was not there. And then he also had other audience members get up and drag Anton out of the lecture and beat him. Um, that's not cool. When he went to the police, they didn't care. When he went to the university, they did nothing. When this happened, the woman who who used to date Sokolov, but... She didn't want to have anything to do with Anton's case if it went to trial. I mean, 
for understandable reasons, that guy's yeah, fucked up. no. And when Sokolov started dating Anastasia, people told her that if he kills her, it's her fault, which she said weighs very heavily on her, mm-hmm. which is super fucked up. Like, don't tell people that. That's not okay. No, it's not. So there's a lot of shit against him, and it seems like the university was ignoring all of the complaints about him until it was serious enough to tarnish their image. Mm. Go yeah. figure. And Sokolov actually... <sighs> this part... All uh, the feelings! He broke down during the hearing that same month saying that he was devastated by what happened. Oh, I'm sure. I'm like, how <laughs> devastated are you? You did it. You played... Ugh. Anyway... A month later, Anastasia's mother actually told local media that Anastasia was going to leave him, and that's she believes that's why he killed her. Her mother said she just got fed up with the total control that he wanted. He was, like, monitoring her every movement, was telling her who she could and could not see, and was constantly jealous. And around this time, the police actually took Sokolov to the couple's home so he could show the police how he killed her. Like, they actually did a reenactment so he could show them what he did. And when he had the chance, he lunged for a sword, but was stopped by police. And he said that he wasn't going to hurt anyone but himself. So put him on suicide watch. Put him in jail. Solitary confinement. Mm. Yeah. So... He, because of COVID, there was a delay in the trial, which took place June of June. Oh, shoot, that's good. I didn't realize it was, hold on, what was the year? Uh, That was last year? This was November. This was, like, right as COVID was starting (laughs) in China. What did you think of? I don't know, I'm sitting here thinking this was, like, 20 years ago or something, and it's already been solved. Oh, this Uh, is current. this is extremely recent. Um, but yeah, there was a delay in the trial, which was in June this year, and he, um, he was taken, like, he was not released for it because obviously there was, he had to be put on watch for fear that he would hurt himself, and then obviously he he killed and dismembered someone. Yeah. Could do it again. Yeah. Since he threatened it once before. Right. Well, actually twice. Oh, before the other girl too? Oh, yeah. No, the police didn't care about that, (laughs) so... Uh, A neighbor of Sokolov testified how she overheard the pair in a shouting match on the night Anastasia was killed. She heard Anastasia loudly say, don't touch me, please, and Sokolov ranted at her, and then she heard a loud crashing of furniture. The neighbor also heard at least five blows after each Anastasia screamed, and she said, okay, I'm not going anywhere, you're not a bastard, just don't touch me. And then the neighbor heard her loudly scream two or three times. Mm. So during the trial, it comes out that Sokolov had tried to suffocate her, but he eventually shot her with a Soviet TOZ-17 rifle that had been sawn off and modified to resemble a 19th century cavalry gun. Four shots were fired, only three were penetrating. He then hid her body in the next room and invited guests over the next evening. Wow. After the party, Sokolov dismembered her corpse with a saw and tried to get rid of the remains. And this is so confusing to me because during the trial, he seems to go back and forth between calling her a monster and saying she had a knife and that he wanted to stop her from going crazy. So he shot the gun just to scare her, but then it hit her, which 
is obviously not the case looking at the evidence and then he goes to being super remorseful and admits guilt and wants to apologize it's so odd Mm, he he is trying to manipulate the results like an asshole sorry my thigh itches okay he said I understand that I committed a horrifying thing and deserved the strictest penalty possible. Do you? But then Sokolo's lawyer is trying to get him off for insanity. Then It makes zero mm. sense. I, I, I don't understand. And then Sokolo's lawyer said that he's apologized to the family, but her parents dismissed that and said he's not apologized personally. Yeah. He just keeps giving, like, he's given, like, seven different excuses why he killed her, including there was a full moon. Literally. That was one of the things the lawyer tried to pass off as a potential reason for him killing her was that there was a full moon and it... (sighs) I'm not going to say it's justifiable, but people definitely go crazy during the full moon. For sure. Uh, For sure. However, he literally put her in the next room and... Uh, no, yeah, it's not justifiable. In the on least. top of that, he was also judged at the, the initial hearing. He was judged completely sane. Good. So he's not but- gonna get off on insanity. Ah, uh, oh, don't tell me he does. <laughs> just don't wait. even. So <sighs> I just can't get over the full moon. His lawyer said Sokolov was tormented after shooting his lover four times, and dismembering her body. He repents, he said. He wants to apologize to the family to the extent this is possible and wishes to correct the situation. There is no correcting murder. There's literally, you can't correct the murder. This isn't an episode of Night Vale where they tell you you have to bring (laughs) back Frank Chen. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not. Wow. Okay, in September, the trial was postponed again because of quarantine in his detention center. And by the way, during the court hearings, this is the part I told you where it gets worse. The (laughs) dean of the Faculty of History of St. Petersburg State University, whose name I could only find was A. Daudov, strongly supported Oleg Sokolov. No! Yeah, he... Strongly supported him. And then said that he had never heard any sort of complaint against him whatsoever. Bullshit. Bullshit. Um, No. In November, the defense announced a second psychiatric examination. Because... So the Serbian Institute uh, in the capital recognized Sokolov as sane at the time of the murder. However, his lawyers are trying to pr- prove that he could have fallen into a temporary insanity since he doesn't doesn't remember the last three shots. This month, on the 14th, prosecutors proposed a 15-year sentence for charges of murder and also the illegal possession of firearms. Asked during the proceedings whether he considered himself responsible for the murder, Sokolov said, I find myself completely guilty and repentant. He described the murder as an absolutely spontaneous, uncontrollable act. However, prosecutors previously claimed that the murder could have been premeditated, saying the former professor searched online for the locations where he later disposed of Yushchenko's remains. So... It wasn't directly outside their apartment, but that river is 
So he looked up each destination on that river. Mm-hmm. So he could, yeah. Also, I'm sorry. I'm still caught on the fact that you said something about him not remembering the last three shots. Yes. But he remembers the first shot. He remembers the first shot because he wanted to scare her and it hit her, apparently. But three, only three of the four shots that he fired actually hit her. Nope. And that's not to say that that was the exact, like, order of the shots. It wasn't, like, missed, hit, 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 or, like, that. But... Um, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, Alexandra Bakshieva, a lawyer representing the victim's family, said that after the sentence request was announced that she believed the murder was premeditated. It was not a crime in the heat of passion, she said. Sokolov did everything to not get caught. Mm-hmm. This is where we are now. And there were a couple of things that I did have to leave out of this just because <sighs> there were <sighs> so much. It was just becoming so long. And I, I, I do want to mention that this case led to a lot of activism for domestic violence prevention in Russia. Russian police officers and judges are often sympathetic to claims by men who were accused of abuse who say that they were provoked into violence by their girlfriends or wives. And each year in Russia, around 16.5 million women are abused by family or partners. And back in 2017, Putin decriminalized some forms of domestic violence. So abusers, most of the time, get off with a fine. Like, that's it. And a lot of people say that the system focuses more on arresting political opponents of the president than protecting its citizens of of domestic violence, along with, like... (laughs) I was gonna say, look who he backed in the election. Exactly. Along with a lack of legislation, a shortage of shelters nationwide, and police who were unresponsive to those who ask for help, Russian victims of domestic abuse have been left unprotected, basically. Reports Mm -hmm. of domestic violence spiked during the nationwide lockdown, which is honestly pretty it's, much worldwide. Yeah. And activists said that their pleas for greater government protections have been ignored. Moscow lawyer and women's rights activist Aliana Popova said last year that Sokolov had been shielded by the country's rotten system and that the murder could have been avoided and that abusers just need to be held accountable. And that's currently where the case is now. I will definitely give you an update if I have one. I don't know if a conviction is coming soon or when it's going to be announced. It might happen this month, might happen happen next month. I don't know. But I will definitely have an update. I need him to go to jail. Yeah. Um, He is facing 15 years, which does not seem like enough. No, definitely not. It needs to at least be for the rest of his life. Yeah. At like 20, 25, because... But yeah, that is my story. And I know you said that a lot of your stories don't have good endings. Yeah. And that was my not so good (laughs) ending. Um, (laughs) Only the hope that he will be convicted. Yes, and I really hope he gets convicted. So, Rachel, what's your story? (laughs) Sorry. I know. I know. I can't! Why? And when, like, I was looking through all of these different stories originally, and when you said St. Petersburg, I was like, okay, let me look this up. And usually when there are stories, when there are, like, cases that happened in like 2019 or 2020 there's not a lot yeah to actually write about it but this one it was so well covered that yeah that's because the reporters got a hold of it before the family did yeah that's so it's crazy 
I can't imagine finding out that somebody that I love died through family members or the media. That would that would kill me. It mm, yeah. I hope that doesn't happen often. <sighs> okay, well, um my story that I'm not sure is going to end very well. But it's not nice. a bad story. It's the episode of not so good endings. <laughs> it's hey title title <laughs> the episode of not so good endings. <laughs> the episode of not. So- I'm gonna write that down actually. Or this isn't an episode of Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So on that note, because I was having such a rough time picking my story, I originally wanted to do the Russian <laughs> psychic soldiers. Which sounds super interesting. You really do need super to send me that Super interesting. Um, oh, yeah. I will find it and I will send it to you. It's all in Russian, so you'll need to, like, translate. <laughs> That's fine. But... I can I, attempt Russian. I just found out that there's Russian in my uh, <laughs> uh, lineage. <laughs> and then I wanted to do Rasputin. And I was like, no, that's more murdery, so I'm not yeah, going to do that. I, I started looking at it, and I was like, oh, that is kind of more yeah. murdery. Yeah, yeah. So instead, I took what you sent me. I did not do that one. I did a different one that I vaguely remembered mentioning in an episode before, but I don't remember which episode. Today, I am covering the forest spirit known as the Leshy. Ooh, okay. So my sources are zaluna.net, slavorum.org, mythfolklore.blogspot.com, genies.phantom.com, thoughtco.com, mythandlore.blogspot.com, um, and latgale.academy. The Lashi, or as the Russians call him, Lesovic, as best as I could pronounce that, because I wrote beside it pronounced how it's spelled. I did look it up. <laughs> I did look it up, I promise. Anyway, the Leshy or Lezi protects the forest and the animals within the forest. They often take the form of a large human-looking being, but have the ability to shapeshift into any animal or plant of their choosing. Mm. They tend to have long hair and beards made out of living grass and vines, which goals, but I know it's not going to happen. We can make it happen. We can make it happen. manifest it. (laughs) This contributes to their nickname of the old man in the forest. Because they are literally of the forest. (laughs) They can also take the height of whatever they might be roaming in, like, in order to avoid detection. So, in the forest, the... Lezzy may be as tall as a tree, but by the time okay. he gets out to the open field, he shrinks to the size so that a field they, mouse, pretty much, so that they might be able to fit under a leaf or next to a blade of grass without being seen. That's cool. Other versions of the Lezzy represent him as a wizened old man covered head to toe in tangled green hair or fur. His eyebrows, eyelashes, and right ear are missing while he is in his human form. He also may have a pointed head and sometimes only one eye, like a cyclops. Cool. As a giant, he has stars for eyes, and when he walks, he causes the wind to blow. That's cool. I like that. He has skin as rough as bark, 
that is tinted blue because of the color of his blood. Ooh. Which is All super right. cool. While a giant, he is seldom seen, but he can often be heard whistling, laughing, or singing. Some stories have him horned and cloven hoofed, or he wears his shoes on the wrong feet and doesn't cast a shadow. Okay. So there are a lot of different versions of the Lezzy and Leshy Lezzy. This is because this creature is like, there's multiples. <laughs> okay. Because so there's multiple like forests. How... There's multiple. Okay. Yes. The I think it's interesting that they, that there are so many different things that seem to be the same thing all over. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, the Lezzy tends to have close bonds with bears and wolves. This is actually often seen in any art depictions of the cryptid. While legends of this creature tend to be, tend to portray it as a non-evil entity, they tend to take on a trickster-like attitude. We love to see it. We love tricksters. Little Lokis. They will often mislead people traveling through their forest by imitating the voices of people familiar to them. They will cry out to their victims, getting them to wander further into the forest or even caves. Some may appear to the victims who get lost by saying that they will guide them out, but really just guide them in the complete opposite direction so they get even yeah. more lost, because why not? That sounds a lot like the... Um... Which one was it? Was it the Chinakis? I think so, Peru? yeah. Yeah, I think that was it. The Lezies are known to pull pranks such as stealing or f- falsifying signs on a path. <laughs> and <laughs> stealing axe heads from woodcutters because, you know, they protect the forest. So obviously they're going to try to prevent people from cutting it down. I'm sorry, that's so funny. All I can imagine is somebody, like, going to, like, like going back to swing when they go to hit if the, <laughs> and the no axe is just gone. <laughs> Gold. Um, they also do not know when too much fun is enough. They Ooh. often accidentally kill their victims. Um, being tickled to death has been known to happen on multiple oh occasions God. by the lezzy. How... <laughs> because they don't know how much fun is too much fun. How do you diagnose tickled to death? That's... T- I love that. <laughs> you laugh so hard you can't breathe, so you just suffocate. I don't know. That's okay. probably what it actually okay. is. <laughs> now, okay, so there are a couple of ways to escape a Leslie if you get stuck in the forest. Apparently, if you sit under a tree and put your clothes on backwards, put your left shoe on your right foot and the right on your left, you will then gain the Lezzy's respect and they will release you from their games because they have an incredible sense of humor and if you can make them laugh, you're good in their books. That's great. So by being a complete idiot and wearing your clothes backwards, you're, you're doing good. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Got all the dad jokes. I'm ready to go. Yes. Yes. With my joke of the poultry guys. Poultry. Wow. Is that why you did that? Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Also, apparently, if you make the sign of the cross or sing sheep's mug, sheep's wool, extremely bad, that is said to work to keep the lezzies away from you. Sheep's mug, sheep's wool. Gotcha. Interesting. And 
if all else fails, you can just uh, set the forest on fire and walk away. Oh my god. <laughs> Apparently the Leshy will become so concerned with putting out the fire that he will just completely forget why he was even mischievous with you in the first place. That's so awful though. You could literally accidentally burn down a forest. Yes. Yeah, I mean, please, 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 please do not set a forest on fire. Just like do the cross instead. That <laughs> simplest thing to me. And you know, they aren't actually dicks to everyone. People who are kind to the lezzies when they meet are often rewarded with gifts. So think like Faye. If you are nice to the Faye, sometimes you are left with a little gift. Okay. I lost my spot. In folklore, the cattle are tended to for poor farmers and princess princes are guided on quests to find the princess. In fact, if you would like to befriend a leshy, lezzy, all you need to do is offer the cross from around your neck and share communion with the Lezzie after church. That simple. Oh, right. In return for giving up your faith, the Lezzie will teach you magic. All right. I'm down. <laughs> I'm here for it. I've already given up. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, fun fact, occasionally the Lezzie may stop by the local tavern for a bucket of vodka. Dad? <laughs> When he finishes, he will then lead his pack of wolves, who just casually came with him, back into the forest. Because why not? Everyone wants a pack of wolves to follow them. Hell yeah. The Leslie is also apparently prone to kidnapping children who have not been baptized, or children who just enter the forest unsupervised. He... A lot? (laughs) He may even replace a child that he's stolen with one of his own, you know, similar to that of a changeling. Ooh! Ooh, okay, yeah. Russian changeling. Russian Love it. changeling. That child would then grow up stupid with a voracious appetite. Oh, <laughs> that's mean. It's super mean. That's so mean. When the Leslie kidnaps an adult, that adult would return mute and covered in moss, sometimes what? unable to concentrate and would act odd for the rest of their lives. What? Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of any real world parallel for that. I can't either, and I couldn't. I was going to say any. mute. Okay, some sort of trauma, maybe. I mean, trauma a brain definitely. Injury. Yeah. Um, moss. Moss. They just sat still for moss. too long. No, no, no. There are some stories that say the Leslie may take people away to the forest who were cursed by their relatives. Sometimes it was to marry the young woman who was kidnapped. Sometimes it was just to give a good home to a person who had been disowned. Oh. Going back to the marrying the young woman they kidnapped. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. I just, um, like, lost right got, got a bit distracted there, but, um, yeah. Um, anyway, after they marry her in a very nice elaborate ceremony with all the other forest creatures, they treat her very kindly. These... Women who they marry then become, you know, leshies themselves. And. Oh, there can be females? There can be females. There can be children. Some even have children who live with them in the forest performing mischievous deeds together. Okay. Just get a family of tricksters. It's fantastic. Nice. Other times, the person they kidnapped would be turned into a slave. Oh. So, I mean, you're kind of. So chill. Tossing a coin on what's going to happen. In some stories, the Leshy Lezzy will live in enormous palaces with others of their kind and animals from the for- forest. 
During the winter, they hibernate, and every spring, the entire tribe of them run amok through the woods. Which just has me thinking of Hocus Pocus. Amok, 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 amok. In the summer... I was just relating to the rest of it. Oh, yeah. That, too. In the summer, they pick on humans, but rarely harm them. However, come fall, they want to fight any and everything that walks into their forest. Oh. Looks like they just have seasonal um, affective disorder. Same. Same. Seriously. Alright, so one story that I found repeated on multiple sites, and I am going to read this word for word just because it's it's kind of very relevant, but also not. So it goes, a certain priest's daughter went strolling in the forest one day without having obtained leave from her father or her mother, and she disappeared utterly. Three years went by. Now in the village in which her parents dwelt, there lived a bold hunter who went daily roaming through the thick woods with his dog and his gun. One day he was going through the forest. All of a sudden his dog began to bark and the hair of its back bristled up. Hmm? The sportsman looked and saw lying in the woodland path before him a log. And on the log there sat a muzik plaiting a bast shoe. And as he plaited the shoe he kept looking up at the moon and saying with a menacing gesture, Shine, oh shine, bright moon. The sportsman was astounded. How comes it, thinks he, that the muzik looks like that? He is still young, but his hair is gray as a badger's. He only thought these words, but the other replied as if guessing what he meant, Gray I am, being the devil's grandfather. <laughs> then the sportsman guessed that he had before him no more muzik, but a leshi. He leveled his gun and bang, he let him have it right in the pouch. Pouch? <gasps> pouch, yep. The lessies groaned and seemed to be going to fall across the log, but directly afterwards he got up and dragged himself into the thickets. After him ran the dog in pursuit, and after the dog followed the sportsman. He walked and walked and came to a hill. In that hill was a fisher, and in the fisher stood a hut. He entered the hut. There on a bench lay the leshy stone dead, and by his side a damsel, exclaiming amid bitter tears, Who now will give me to eat and to drink? Hail, fair maiden, says the hunter. Tell me whence thou comest, and whose daughter thou art. Ah, good youth, I know not that myself any more than if I had seen the free light, never known a father and mother. Well, get ready as soon as you can. I will take you back to holy Russia. You see why I started questioning if I wanted to put this in? I'm so glad that you put this in. (laughs) So he took her away with him and brought her out to the forest. And all the way he went along, he cut marks on the trees. Now this damsel had been carried off by the lezi and lived in his hut for three years. Her clothes were all worn out and had gotten torn off her back, so she was stark naked, but she wasn't a bit ashamed of that. When they reached the village, the sportsman began asking whether there was anyone there who had lost a girl. <laughs> Up came the priest and claimed, Why, that's my daughter! Up came running the priest's wife and cried, Oh, the... O thou dear child, where hast thou been so long? I had no hope of ever seeing thee again. Getting busy with the lezzy. Yeah. Oh, hey. Hey. But the girl just gazed and blinked with her eyes, understanding nothing. After a time, however, she began slowly to come back to her senses. Then the priest and his wife gave her in marriage to the hunter and rewarded him with all sorts of good things. And they went in search of the hut to 
in which she had lived while she was with the Lezzy. Long did they wander about the forest, but that hut they never found. Okay. So that... <laughs> I'm so glad you included that, dude. Oh, man. So that story goes along with the a lot of the folklore surrounding kidnapping, turning them into the wife slash slave. And then yeah. also when coming back to the forest, she just didn't know anything. She had no idea huh. what had happened to her. She didn't know who she was. Didn't know didn't who know she was. Going on. That's so interesting. Yeah. Another fun belief is that the Lezzi, who take care of and are in charge of the animals of the forest, is said to be the one to command migrating animals where to go. Ooh. One story tells of a time in 1843 when there was a mass migration of squirrels in certain districts of Russia. In the story, the local peasants were questioned about this, and they responded with, Elishi in the Vyatka government had gambled away all his squirrels to a brother demon and that of the Vologda, and the lost property was on its way to the new master. That's the kind of, uh, like, rumored political things I like to hear. Yeah. So, um, there's that. Um, also, if you would like lost to send... Lost all my squirrels. <laughs> damn. All my squirrels. I lost them in that damn lost gambling game. And apparently, if you want to summon a lezzy, which is, which is a thing, apparently, mm-hmm. there's a couple ways. You must cut down young birch trees, place Aww. them in a circle with their tops in the middle, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That person must then take off their cross and call out loud, Djajiska, or grandfather. The lessee will then appear immediately and teach you magic. Sweet. Another way is to go into the forest on St. John's Eve, which is June 23rd, Mm. for anyone who wants to know, and cut down an aspen, being sure that it falls towards the east. They must then stand on the stump facing the east, bend down and say, while looking through your feet... Uncle <laughs> Uncle Lezzy, appear not as a gray wolf, nor as a black raven, nor as a fur for, bor- for burning. Appear just like me. The Lezzy <laughs> will then appear prepared to bargain with the person who summoned him in return for that person's soul. So. I love this. I love everything about it. Okay, so the, the Lezzy now sounds like a crossroads demon, mm-hmm. which brings on the fact that many people associate this forest spirit as a demon once the Christians became involved. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's Lizzie, the tree spirit slash crossroads demon. Oh, man. That's cool as shit. <laughs> and I told oh, you I like that, that. That, was, that was the ending. I hated it because everything I was on, it just abrupt end. I mean, it wasn't, like, cliffhanger or anything, or <laughs> unsolved, And or... they all lived happily ever after once the lazy Damn, my dead. squirrels. <laughs> Damn, my squirrels. Awesome in that dang card game. Love it. Love it so much. Okay, guys. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. We thank you. We thank you. From the deepest parts of our hearts. So you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using the full name Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also email us at 
mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Also, please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the descriptions below. Please rate, please review, subscribe anywhere and everywhere you can. It's deeply appreciated. It seriously makes us so happy, guys. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.